Day estimates that 48.7 million people traveled over this past week. 48.7 million! All going somewhere to visit family, see friends, and yes, to gorge themselves. <laughs> but also to give thanks. And that is beautiful. My little clan was part of that mass pilgrimage. Uh, Mary Beth and I took the kids and her to visit her family in Florida. And despite a few canceled flights, some lost luggage, and some rental car keys that have yet to reappear from the ether, <laughs> we had a great trip. Henry and Jimmy got to spend some time with their Indiana cousins, and I took a few much-needed days away from technology. In general, we had this great family Thanksgiving. The day before Thanksgiving, we loaded up the whole clan and went down to the beach. All eight cousins and six parents and uh, two grandparents all loaded up and going down to the beach to get dirty in the sand. And uh, at the beach, there's this local restaurant and uh, a little store, both of which have that kind of markup that is usually <laughs> reserved for like airports. <laughs> but here it was, the day before Thanksgiving, and they were already putting up the Christmas decorations. <laughs> it seems to happen everywhere and earlier and earlier every year. Now they don't even wait for Thanksgiving. <laughs> out come the Christmas trees, out come the candy canes and fake snow, and everywhere you go, silver bells, Frosty the Snowman playing in the background. <laughs> Mary Beth went in to go get a couple last-minute Halloween things on Halloween Day, and they'd already taken down all the Halloween stuff and put up the Christmas stuff. <laughs> Long before Christmas is even a place on the calendar that we can see, the world is turning to this mass consumption. Here in the church, things are a bit different. Today, we begin the season of Advent. Advent is the season of waiting. It's all about expectation. A period of longing for change as the days grow short and dark. It's a period of hope for what is unseen. Hope in a time of darkness and uncertainty. Sounds like just the thing we need. As we go through this season of Advent, we are not oblivious. As the saying goes, this ain't our first rodeo. We know there's a baby coming. And we know that that, who that baby is and what his life will be like. And because we know the story so well, and because the culture around us refuses to wait, it can be hard for us to live into the season of Advent. From that perspective, the gospel reading for today is the perfect thing to shake us up at the beginning of this Advent season. <laughs> now, at first glance, nothing about this passage seems perfect. It is the sort of doom and gloom that turns people away from the church, away from what we call the God-love life. It's scary, 
It's confusing. If the hour is unknown, why should we worry about it? Do we want to be left behind or do we want to be like taken away in this rapture? Is it good that the Son of Man is coming back? Jesus is compared to a thief in the night. And we are told to stay awake constantly. This sounds exhausting. But it also sounds familiar. Jesus compared to a thief. His followers told to stay awake. We get it. We understand this, right? Jesus is clearly referencing the Garden of Gethsemane and the shameful death ahead of him. But the disciples only had to stay awake a few hours. How are we supposed to stay awake always? Some might say we can't, and they would be right. We need God working through us if we want to stay in this game of faith. If we want to be in it for the long run. If we want to learn to wait. But there's so much more to this passage than mixed metaphors and pervasive anxiety. I grew up in a mainline Protestant church. It was a it was Presbyterian, a bit different from our Anglican theology here at St. Mike's, but it wasn't all that different. And when I went to seminary, I learned how different church was for so many of my friends growing up. I heard about snake handling, <laughs> altar calls, uh, a variety of modern American Christian activities that seem barbaric and perhaps anachronistic. Um, it was then that I first heard of this thing, this series, this book series and film series called Left Behind. Are you guys familiar with this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's kind of a sci-fi interpretation built on this passage. It details a day when some people will disappear, presumably to heavenly bliss, while others are left behind to suffer the destruction that precedes Judgment Day. Ooh, good times. <laughs> Nothing like a little fear of God to make you behave, right? Most of us have heard these stories so much that uh, we think we understand passages like today's gospel. But in this Advent season, we have the chance to look at it differently. Before we have decorated the world around us in condemnation and destruction, let's take this opportunity to wait for the Lord. To wait for the God who is not a stranger. To wait for the God who brought a people out of slavery in Egypt and delivered them in a way that no one could have anticipated. To wait for the God who cleared the path for the shepherd boy to become king. To wait for the God who found the roots for that kingship in Ruth the Moabite. Ruth the foreign widow. This is the God of justice. The God of lost sheep of Samaritan neighbors, rebellious children, the poor, the sick, the forgotten. This is the God who is to appear. This is the one that we know. And we know how that eternal spirit of creation and of love appeared to us as a child. A child born in a manger. 
barn. A helpless child who would grow up to die an innocent and shameful death, all for the sake of loving us. So we know the character of what we are waiting for. We know that our hope is not misplaced. In fact, there may be no better analogy to wrap up what Jesus describes in this passage than pregnancy. As the husband of a woman who delivers babies for a living, I am never far from this experience. I know both the dangers and risks that come with birth and the hope and anticipation that await the unknown and unpredictable process of bringing new life into the world. Many of you know this firsthand as well. Throughout a pregnancy, there are some things that you know. You can see that change is coming. You know it, you can see it. You can watch one body transform as another one starts to form. And you can prepare. And you need to prepare. You need to get all the gear, the cribs, the diapers, the cream, the clothes, the bottles, the car seats, and on and on and on. <laughs> And if you don't prepare, if you ignore the changes coming, things can go really bad. Lee, just notice that. <laughs> People can die. When you know that the due date is near, you have a ballpark figure, but you don't know when. In Australia, doctors give pregnant women a month of a window in which the baby will come rather than a due date, which seems much more appropriate to me. <laughs> because the day and the hour are unknown. The closer we get to the unknown, the more scared we get. It's so strange. One woman can be sitting with another, both pregnant, both with the same due date, and one will give birth and the other won't. But we hope for both. We pray for both. We wait for life to come. We may not know what is coming, but we prepare. We move into the unknown with confidence, with faith, that no matter what happens, the God who made us all will be with us, will deliver us and bring us to some deeper understanding of all that is and was and is yet to come. So if you are bearing hope for change, if you are pregnant with concern for justice, if you are wondering how the future will unfold in this darkness, wait for the Lord whose day is near. Wait, not like an indifferent observer, but like a caring mother. Amen.